Good morning. I am Bob Lutz. I'm an elder here at First Point, and I'm blessed to open the word with you. Uh, and I, as we prepare to hear God's word, it's good for us to go to God with our request. So will you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we come into this place this morning on the last day of 2023. And we consider the end of one chapter and the beginning of another. Lord, as we do that in our calendar, we thank you that you're unchanging. And that you're not bound by our understanding of time. In fact, God, we thank you that you are sovereign over all our lives. Yet, God, we thank you that you've given us these signposts for us to consider our life in light of you. Therefore, God, please help our church. We pray that we would consider our days as you see them. That we would seek to bring you glory in our worship and in how we live as a congregation together in the upcoming year, God. May our actions and our words to each other be seasoned with grace and love. Lord, change our words, change our tongues that we may speak the words of life that we've just sung. That show Christ, that build each other up, that help others. God, keep us from words that destroy, that contaminate, that spread sin in this place. God, let our church be marked as one where evidences of grace are often recognized and drawn out in each other, where the gospel is celebrated and where we apply it to each other. And God, we pray that this would not be a place where gossip, where slander, where foolishness, where murmuring, where divisiveness have any place. God, we give thanks to you this morning for the start of, of our new equipping hours next week at 9 a.m. God, we pray that these classes and discussions in the life of our church would bring about fruit. God, cause us to create a hunger and a righteousness and living in grace with each other, God. Work in our lives through this time. Make us eager to know you more and how your truth can help us live. God, we do ask that you would bless those who are preparing right now to teach. I think of Stephen Worley, I think of Bob Jensen, Bruce Case, Joe Mercy, Caleb Batchelor, Carl Nelson, and others. God, please protect them. Protect their words. That they might say what is helpful and true, and that they might also demonstrate them in their own lives. God, we also pray for the many in our body who are traveling this week. We pray that they may be protected in their travels, but they may also be guided by your Holy Spirit, even today in how they speak to their family and friends, to their loved ones, even strangers on the way. God, we pray that each of them would bear fruit from the Holy Spirit. May others be encouraged by how they speak and interact. God, we also, uh, God, also bless the churches where our members are traveling and worshiping this morning. Please allow the preaching of the word there to be proclaimed as words of life. God, may you do that here also. May you make your word clear to us this morning. May we hear from you and may be pricked and made to change and then show that we are those who are redeemed in Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. When a neutron strikes the nucleus of an atom of a certain heavy isotope, it causes that nucleus to split into two fragments. In the process of splitting, 
a great amount of thermal energy is released. And under certain circumstances, the escaping neutrons strike and thus fission more of the surrounding nuclei. This series of rapidly multiplying fission culminates in a chain reaction in which nearly all the fissionable material is consumed. In the process, generating the explosion of what is known as an atomic bomb. We live in a nuclear age. Within a hundred years, roughly, of discovering the atom, the, the most minuscule element, the tiny building block from which we have determined the entire universe's given order, humankind, namely the United States of America, had engineered the greatest weapon the world had ever known from this tiny little element, culminating in the use of the weapon of mass destruction twice on Japan in World War II. These two bombs killed over 100,000 people and created an explosion greater than two miles in diameter. In those moments, the world was changed and it began to grapple and is still struggling, frankly, with what to do with this power, what to do with this danger. In comparison, the arsenal of nuclear weapons that we have are each 3,000 times more powerful than that used in World War II. This reality of destruction and power created by man is reflected in the quote of the, the man who actually led the development of that project, the Manhattan Project, and he's said to have said when they detonated the first bomb, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Friends, I recognize this is not the most encouraging or hopeful introduction to a sermon. And especially as we consider a new week and a new year together. However, I think it's appropriate to draw the comparison to how such a small thing, an atom, can cause such an expansive and penetrating destruction in the hands of man with such global and lasting damage to what the Bible says about how our tongue and your tongue and my tongue can cause exponential destruction. Such a small thing, yet so destructive, so deadly. So would you turn with me back in our study to James in looking at the third chapter of the epistle of James. And as you turn there, I just want to give you a brief reminder of the context and theme of this letter. James has written the brother of Christ. He's a disciple. He's writing a letter here to Jewish Christians who are dispersed throughout all the area. The primary theme of James is the hope James has for those Christians to live out their faith, to not be mere hearers, but doers of the word as well. James is concerned that the souls of these, these Christians, these Jewish Christians, he wants them to be certain of their faith, that they would know they have authentic faith, and that their lives would match it. And that they would grow in their faith, that they would grow in wisdom and maturity, leading to greater faith and greater unity together. Not just in an individual, but it would affect the way they live together. This... this letter which I've fallen in love with as I've studied and was often confusing for me 
I've also realized is the most um, wisdom-natured literature that we have in the entire New Testament. It's, it's the most like Proverbs of anything that we have in the New Testament. And so with that in mind, with the words of life in front of us, let's pick up where we left off in James 3. Read with me beginning in verse 5b. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the whole course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and, and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring forth pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Remember, this is a continuation of, our, our, of, the, of the sermon that our brother Caleb Batchelor preached a few weeks ago on the tongue. This is actually the longest passage in the New Testament about the tongue. And so this is the sequel to that. So welcome to part two. And we're going to pick up right where James left off. And as he continues to weave in, as Caleb mentioned, the perils and the powers of the tongue, we're going to see that even more clearly. And I think this morning in this sequel sermon, there's a central question that's being asked. And that is, what is characteristic of a Christian tongue? What should a tongue say? What should it not only look like, but what should the words that come out of a Christian tongue resemble? And so to do that, I want us to just find three observations from this text. Number one, the evil dangers of the human tongue. Number two, the source of power over the tongue. And finally, the call for a changed tongue. So let's dive in. Let's first examine the evil dangers of the tongue. Well, we see evil dangers demonstrated in two ways in this passage. And we're going to see first here, we see the devastating, destructive effects of the tongue. Think outward here. That's what we're thinking about, the destructive effects of the tongue. Read verse 5 with me again. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and a tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The destructive effects, the fire that goes out quickly, right, from just a little spark. These are the, these are the outward effects. That they, they go out, they, they explode. They're, they're often careless without regard for whom they injure, right? Well, as I mentioned earlier about atomic bombs, the, the largest bomb the U.S. has tested, if detonated in Boynton Beach, would vaporize everything from the ocean to Congress Avenue, from Hypoluxo to Gulf Road. And burning buildings would continue to quickly catch on fire from North Palm Beach to Boca Raton. In an instant. In a moment, it would annihilate the world we know with death and destruction. 
And I don't think it's a big jump to say that that's what James is saying here. In this passage, he states that with such a small thing, an element, or our tongue, a giant destruction can occur. Spiritually speaking, this is true of our words. Think about in your life one word. I know it's easy. One thing you've said that you know caused damage with the mere utterance of your tongue saying one sentence you can cause deep lasting harm perhaps you've done this I know I have uh, I can remember a story from when I was younger I was in seventh grade uh, in pastor son in Indiana and we were going on a Saturday trip to one of the state parks in the fall and so we were loading in vans we were leaving the church as I walked out of the church door I said to my buddy I said hey I want to ride with you in, in this van come with me and then I also said and let's not ride with this other guy it still haunts me today right behind me I did not know it but the grandmother of that boy was standing and she was my father's church secretary she was a woman that I actually referred to as an aunt we were that close I'm told by my father later that she heard me and she went back the church office and wept. <laughs> By one sentence I said, yes, she forgave me. Yes, I apologize. Yes, I loved her till the day she died. But I felt something change in that moment. I think you can tell. In that moment, my words painted me in a hateful light. And I lived with the guilt of knowing that she had seen me that way. Friends, that's what James is saying. Our tongues are a fire. They're capable of quick destruction. In fact, he says, even not just a fire, he says they're a world of unrighteousness entire world. What's that mean? A world of unrighteousness. I mean, think of your words. Think, think of written word. Just think of books that you love. Whether you love Chronicles of Narnia, whether you love Lord of the Rings, whether you love Little Women, Great Expectations, Tale of Two Cities. Think about how mere words on a page can create an entire world. Languages by Tolkien. Realms, right? all by words on a page it, it ignites every other sense that we have and gives it life and makes it feel real and makes it feel holistic our words have such power to bring things to life they, they fill an entire realm such are the words of our life words give voice to every sin of man 
Every evil thought, every sinful thing you think when you speak it, you give it voice. You bring it into the air. And it escapes out. That is the essence of, of our words floating. They start the action of destruction that fills the world. So, question for you. If, if you think about on the last day of 2023, every word you spoke this year. And, and say it were recorded. And we had the tape. And we filled the tapes down here at the beginning. And we just hit play. What world would they create? Well, we also see here that sometimes we don't even know where or who our words may hurt, right? Think again of the analogy of, of the atomic bomb. As I mentioned, this massive, quick explosion, right? It's not often even that vaporizing explosion that causes the most damage, they say, in a nuclear fallout. It's the fallout, we use the term fallout. It comes from this. It means these particles that are radioactive and destructive that float up into the air and can travel for miles and miles and miles. In fact, if there was a northwest wind on the bomb that I just described, there would be nuclear radioactive particles that land in Atlanta, Georgia. Harming who knows when, where, how. Such are our words. As fire can spread without intent, so can our words across the world. I was reminded by a quote by Alistair Begg. He, he told a story about an, an old Puritan uh, story, sermon analogy, where a woman says, I, 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 have, I have slandered, and I'm guilty, and I want to repent. I want to be done with it. How, can you help me with this? And the pastor said, well, here, take these chicken feathers, and I want you to put a chicken feather on the porch of every person in town. And so she takes the chicken feathers, and she puts a chicken feather on every porch of every person in town. And she comes back, and she says, Pastor, I've done it. He says, good, tomorrow I want you to go gather them. And she says, I can't do that. She said, the wind has blown them everywhere. And he said, exactly. You may turn from your sin and be forgiven, but the wind has blown your words everywhere. And the spent word, like a fire, fired arrow, isn't coming back. So again, take the last 365 days of your words, of my words. What fired arrows would you find? Words, weapons of mass destruction that you can't have back. Well, our, our, our text tells us not only of the outward destruction, right? Like how quickly and how widespread and how floating our words can be. But it also talks about the completely contaminating effect of our tongue. James continues in verse 6. He says, The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. We see here in this passage that it's set among all our members or our body parts. Like it is, is uniquely positioned amongst the whole of our body to have devastating effects, to stain it, to make it guilty. It's in another sense, it's, it's in essence what James is saying here is that your tongue, my tongue, is pre-programmed in a way to breathe sin into the world 
and to breathe poison into our entire being. And so, in another sense, again, it sets on fire the entire course of life. Again, thinking through the analogies of the atomic bomb this week. In the 1950s, the U.S. was testing their nuclear weapons, and they went all the way out into the middle of the ocean in the, in the Pacific, the biggest ocean, far away from any land. And they found a, a, a series of islands in the Marshall Islands where they detonated nuclear weapons. 70 years ago. And the natives today still cannot move back to those islands. Why? Because the coconuts and the vegetation are still radioactive. The water is still contaminated today. James says here with our tongues that it sets on fire the whole course of life. Every part of our sustenance and being. They bring guilt not only on our whole body, but our entire life. And this, in some passages actually say, this is the course of life, that it actually sets on fire your, your childhood living all the way into your very last days. This contamination destroys inwards. That means that a person's life is damaged inside by the words that they use outside in a complete and lasting way. Do you see this to be true? I do. I, I mentioned, and I, I got emotional, but the story from my youth group, I, I mentioned how not only my words wounded someone I loved, but it changed me. It changed and marred my own guilt and marked that relationship. With the secretary from the church, it changed in my mind the course of my image and my relationship with her. This is real stuff. This is dangerous. This is destructive. Sinclair Ferguson says, it's true that this little instrument that has no bone, but it can mud a reputation. It can stain my whole life. It can be superbly, I can be superbly intelligent. I can have outstanding uh, work or have an outstanding profession. I can have great success, and yet this little instrument can stain the whole and make me so unlike the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, I just ask each of us this morning, what are the words that what are these words that cause outward destruction and contamination inward? What are the sins of the tongue? What are the things we do that can be so poisoning and so destructive? Well, Jerry Bridges, I think, gives a pretty concise list. I want to go through those just as help to me and help to you. He talks about ways in which we often excuse words we say that can be these very weapons of mass destruction. He starts with gossip. Gossip is the spreading of unfavorable information about someone else, even if that information's true. However, gossip's often built on hearsay or rumor, and it's often spread because we want to make ourselves look better in comparison to someone else that I could cast someone, that I could share some bit of information that I think might be true that makes me feel somewhat more self-righteous and makes someone else look poor in a way. So I ask each of us in the last year, have you used words to cast another person 
even someone in this room in a bad light? Have you spread information to make yourself look better and make them look bad? Well, these words can destroy and wound others. Quickly, we've seen it in the life of our church. But they do not make you look more righteous. They make you look more guilty. Well, he also mentioned slander. Slander is similar, but slander is making a false statement or a misrepresentation about a person that defames or damages their reputation. We often, we often struggle with slander by actually ascribing motives to someone's actions. They meant to do that. They meant to hurt me. They, they don't like me. They're out to get me. And yet, we often, as we breathe that out and saying some misrepresentation of their motive or their action or their personhood, we in our own just sickness defend our motives. We assume the best of ourselves and the worst in others when we slander. So again, I, I ask yourself, have you ascribed the worst motives to someone at work or in your family or in here? And have you defended your best motives? Have you destroyed and contaminated in this way? Well, slander, slander is a form of lying. And, and lying may be, as Jerry Bridges says, the, the one we're most on guard with with our tongues, right? It's the one like, shouldn't do that. <laughs> shouldn't lie. And, and we probably say, I try to go through my day telling the truth. I think that's true culturally, and I hope it's true of believers even more so. But I think Bridges is right to say that we often fall into this in subtle ways. When I exaggerate a story, when I fail to tell the whole truth, or, or when I say this is just a little white lie, it's, it's not going to matter in consequence, I am seeking to deceive someone else. So, so have you been, have I been loose with the truth to protect my image? Have I done it? Just because it's convenient, it is too much work to share the whole context of the truth. So I'm just going to say this. Have you withheld information or exaggerated to make yourself look better? What is true can destroy and contaminate. Finally, he talks about critical speech, and this is just saying something negative, even if it's true about someone else, that just doesn't need to be said. It is one of the hardest things to say, I'm just going to eat those words. It is too tempting to be like, ah, well, they're really annoying, and let that float out into the air. So have you spoken critically of others ab about your boss, about your spouse, the leaders and servants of this church? Have you chosen to give voice to divisive thoughts that seek to tear apart? Well, Bridges not only says that we sin when we talk about each other, he also says we sin when we talk to each other. So think of harsh words that you've used with your children. Or your wife. Think of sarcasm that you just thought, boy, I, I, I'm going to be funny here at the expense of someone else. Or, or ridicule or insults. The common denominator, the thing that brings all these, this inventory together, 
is that these are forms of negative speech that tend to put down, humiliate, and hurt others. What would your children, your spouse, your roommate, your coworker say about the nature of your conversations if we were to hit play this morning on 2023? Do you put others down? Are you harsh? Are you destructive? The Puritan Thomas Watson adds other sins of the tongue, just quickly, hasty or angry speech, flattery that's empty, boasting about yourself to look better to others, swearing or cursing, seducing, meaning to make attractive to someone else something that's sinful and leading them astray. A murmuring or complaining tongue. Speaking injustice. Only speaking of earthly things. Or remaining silent. At unrighteousness. Or silent at the opportunity to speak of God. So here we are again on the last day of 2023. Has your tongue been used as a weapon of mass destruction this year? Even as you and I have used it today to sing God's praises in the last half hour, has it been used to poison yourself and others? Let's repent of this today. James shows us not only the danger of our tongue as we look at point two here, but he also shows us the greater, the source of the power over the tongue. And and he does this by first showing what doesn't have power over the tongue what what can't control the tongue and that's namely that's namely us that's namely you and me and all of mankind read verse 7 with me again for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind but no human being can tame the tongue it is a restless evil full of deadly poison so we see here first the futility of inward or human solutions to tame the tongue again consider the analogy of, of nuclear power if, if you're old enough perhaps if you were, remember the 1950s or 60s you remember at school they would have drills for a nuclear explosion where you had to do what you had to hide under your little wooden or metal desk we've stopped I did not do that in the 1980s we stopped doing it why? Because we realized that comparatively to the power of the destruction, our response was completely inadequate. Our ability to protect, limit damage, limit the power, control, or harness it, to use it, is, there's no comparison. We don't do it. Friends, I have to confess that as I've come to James in the past and I've read this, like this has been the temptation for me. I just I read it and I think, okay, I'm supposed to I'm supposed to I'm supposed to have a godly tongue. I'm just going to do better. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fix the problem. I'm just going to will myself to stop sinning with the words I use. I'm going to be kinder. Oh wow, that's kind of like hiding under a desk in a nuclear explosion. It reflects a really big view of me and a really small view of God's holiness and a really underestimated view of the weapon 
that's within my mouth. Perhaps you're making New Year's resolutions today. I'm not here to condemn those. Maybe you want to read more. Maybe you want to exercise more regularly. Maybe you want to lose a few pounds. And, and it's all things we do, right? We all, we all come to this day, we jot some things down, and we think, okay, let's, let's do this. But oftentimes, we do it in a way where we're, when we make lists, where we just think, if I just renew effort here, if I just focus on this, if I say no to that, we believe that the will within us can change the results, right? I'm just going to wake up every morning at 6, I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to go run four miles. Well, James is telling us that at least related to how you use your words, it will not work. You're no match. Comparatively, men have tamed lions. They've tamed elephants. They've tamed whales, eagles, bears. But we can't control one of the smallest muscles in our own body from their fixation to breathe sin into the air with toxic results. Why? It's so small. Why? Why can't we tame it? Well, that brings us to the second truth of this passage right here. The tongue is the revelation of the heart's fruit. The tongue is the revelation of the heart's fruit. Let's go back to verse 6 here. The tongue is, in essence, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. The fuel that causes the burning destruction of our tongue is from hell itself. Meaning, the power over the tongue, in a natural sense, in our, in our human condition, it's really the revelation of what's in our hearts. It's the revealing of what's in our hearts. It's the very depravity within us. We sin because we want sin. It's used, our words are used by Satan to destroy, to divide, and to bury us in our own guilt and judgment. So do your words reflect the hope of heaven or do they reflect the fire of hell? Christ speaks about this in Matthew 12. He says in verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of evil brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's a question for us again this morning. If you were honest with yourself, and you considered again the tape of every word that you said in 2023, what would we take as the abundance of your heart? If we listen to that this morning, what would be the takeaways from what is the abundance, what's overflowing out of your heart? Will those words be a justification or a condemnation? This is sobering. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, 
what James may be saying, it may be frustrating. It may be confusing. And, and I want to encourage you as I've encouraged myself. It's actually good to sit in this place under this work. It's good on the last day of 2023 to sit in a place where I have to think about the words I've used. Why? Because those words are a reflection of my heart. They're a reflection of my being. And I can tell you, before I knew Christ, that my heart was dead, and it was driven by my own dead wishes, and, and it did. It, my tongue breathed fire, even as a pastor's kid in Indiana, faking it. Because we can't change ourselves. There's no hope within us from across all mankind, but there is hope this morning. Which brings us to the third observation and the final observation from James 3. We not only see the evil dangers of the tongue and we see the power over the tongue, but James brings us to the call for a changed tongue. This change can only come from a changed heart. My final nuclear power illustration of the morning. As we've been considering it, there's an insightful quote by Einstein I found this week. Who Einstein obviously was probably one of the most influential persons in the 20th century to bring about nuclear power. And when he saw the effects of nuclear power, he's quoted to have said, the release of atomic power has changed everything. Everything in the world except our way of thinking. The solution to that problem lies in the heart of mankind. And if I'd have only known that, I would have become a watchmaker. He knew that the weapon could not be changed or used for any lasting good until the heart of man that controlled the weapon was changed. That's true of us. Until we, our heart is changed and made alive by God, there's no hope for our tongues. There's no hope for the words we speak. Look with me again in verse 9. With it, talking about our tongue, we bless our God and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in his likeness. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James is lovingly called out, calling out these dispersed Christians to consider the dichotomy of their speech. That what they say does not reflect the changed heart. On one hand, they're praising God. They're, they're professing to know the God of the universe. They say they seek to honor Him. They want to worship Him. Just similar to how we've spent the first half hour worshiping God. That we've sung praises to God. That's, that's what these Christians or these professing Christians were doing. But sadly, at the same time, they were cursing people made in the image of God with the same tongue. In essence, Mark Webb says it this way. It would be like me going to my wife and just declaring my love for her and telling her how beautiful she is and how smart she is and how much I adore her and I'm so thankful to be married to her. And then later, whether it be at work with her or without her, I pull out a picture of her and I ridicule it. I mock her hair being out of place. I, I belittle 
the clothes she's wearing in the picture. Well, that's what we're doing. When we come into this place and we sing the praises of God and we walk out of this place and on the very next day, we use our words to tear apart the people that are actually made in the image of God. That's what we're doing. James laments that these things ought not to be so of us. Friends, we need help. Alistair Begg says, the very means that God has provided whereby we can communicate with each other and enjoy fellowship with one another, the very means that he's provided us to articulate our praise and honor to God becomes the means of despising and deceiving others and dishonoring God. Yes, I say to you again, if you're just honest enough to stick out your tongues, then before the mirror of God's word, we realize how much we need a Savior. We need a Savior, a Savior who took on our sin as a perfect sacrifice, and he died in our place. Yes, he took on the very sins that may be haunting you this morning, the sins that haunted me from seventh grade. He took that very sin, on the cross and he exhausted that punishment for that sin in my place for every word you've used in 2023 if you are believing in the name of Jesus Christ that he is the son of God that he is the Messiah that he has died a righteous death in my place as a sacrifice and he's rose from the grave all of that unrighteousness is forgiven and I encourage you to think through then the use of your tongue. If you're like me, like the, like the members of all of this church, you'll, you'll know that with just your tongue you've sinned and deserve hell from which your tongue, it, it fumes, even struggles today to continue to sin. But the hope this morning is that, that as We've repented that if you don't know Christ this morning, that you'd repent of those same sins and that you would recognize that what Christ has done is the hope that we have this morning. And it is a real hope that what he has done in our place for the very words we use is our hope for forgiveness, is our hope for life, is our hope for change. So practically, finally, members of First Point how do we cultivate a changed heart to see a changed tongue? Let's look again at the text. Does a spring forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So my question for us this morning is, what is the source of your water? If you're producing bad water, drill deeper into a good well if your words are bitter and destructive repent confess it ask forgiveness do it today evaluate your heart to see if you have authentic faith but in all that practically continually daily go back to the gospel preach the gospel to yourself continually have you recognized your life and your tongue? It's, it's, if you're a believer this morning, it's been crucified. It's dead. It's not yours. But it's been replaced. 
It's being replaced. It's being made new. It's being reformed in Christ. For Christ. For the blessing of you. So not only, so it's not poisoning you, it's blessing you and blessing others in this place. Sinclair Ferguson, he says it this way. He says, the reason this may be true of me that I struggle with this sin, that my tongue is uncontrollable is because I've never had my mouth shut before God. But the gospel shuts my mouth. And before him, I have nothing to say except to bow my head and to cover my face and to say, like Isaiah said, who happened to be the most eloquent preacher in Jerusalem, if not the whole world at the time, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And when you confess your guilt and your sin, your need that comes to expression in your lips... He brings something from the altar of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He promises to cleanse your lips and to use you and for, in your words for his glory as you trust the Savior. Let's speak as well of him as we ever can. We have a moment as we conclude this service to be reminded of that very thing. That we are... We, we are dead in ourselves as Christ died on the cross in our place and that we are made alive in Christ and what he did with his body and his blood covers our sin. And that has brought us into fellowship of blessing with each other. So as we preach this gospel to ourselves, then in that we should be reminded of the truth of the gospel. In essence, that we should apply gospel promises then to the words we speak, to our tongue. As you recognize that your tongue has been replaced by the sacrificial work of Christ, you can be reminded that the promises of God are true for you even in the words you speak. Romans 8.28 tells us that the eternal purpose of God is to make us like Jesus. He describes those who have been called, that they're predestined to be conformed into his likeness from all eternity, as, as Alistair Begg mentions. If you're a Christian, the purpose of God has been to make you like Jesus. That's what he's doing. That's the entire plan. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we're being transformed into his likeness. And ultimately, as we think about 1 John 3, we know that when we see him, we'll be like him. We will be like Christ. That means he's reworking your tongue. There is hope this morning in a sermon that's about nuclear fallout and sinful tongues. There is hope this morning that our tongues can be reworked by the reworking of our heart as we're drawn into the lordship of Jesus Christ over us he can cause us to be changed, that we would, we would see others differently. Even the people that with the words we've wounded, that we would recognize that as we're redeemed, that they bear the image of God. And so that as he works in us, he would sanctify us and he would bear fruit, that he would even restore those relationships. Even our tongues can be redeemed. It's hard work, brothers and sisters are first point. It requires every bit of us. But God is promising to do it. 
Another theologian says it's only by considering the gravity of our sin and the wonder of God's grace, especially the fact that Jesus died for all those times we've cursed our neighbors, that the power of the tongue can be controlled. While we'll never stop sinning until we die or until the Lord returns, the very fact that God considers us in Christ as though we've never cursed our neighbor and ruined their reputations with our words becomes the means through which God restrains our sinfulness. When we consider the way Jesus spoke and when we consider how God views our neighbors, only then do the words that have the power to destroy entire forests become blessing. Which shows us finally that as we preach the gospel and as we apply gospel promises, we're given the fresh opportunity to practice gospel living. That we would live in grace. Church, we're going to continue to sin against each other. In fact, I remind Jeff, one of the early lunches that we had together, he reminded me that the church is a series of offenses and forgivenesses. And we're going to continue to do that. But by God's grace, by making the gospel central and its influence on all of our lives, our tongues, the words we use, that we can show each other the words of life. We have the words of life, and we can encourage and bless each other with them. We can praise God with our lips, and then we can live that out together in how we love each other. With greater fruit and greater consistently, more like our Savior. May God do that for us in 2024. Let's commit that to him now. Lord, we pray that as a church, the meditation of our hearts, the words of our mouth, the actions of our hands, and the relationships that we foster would be pleasing in your sight, O God. For your glory, God, may this be a taste of hope to come as we'll be made to be like you in eternity. We ask all this because of the completed work of Jesus Christ. Amen.